It is high noon, Toronto. Welcome back to Toronto Today here on TSN 1050, tsn1050.ca. You can listen on the iHeartRadio app as well. I'm Andy McNamara. Give us a follow on Twitter, the station at TSN 1050 Radio, myself at AndyMC81, and on Instagram at AndyMCSports. Still to come in the show in a couple minutes, Dave Poulin, TSN Hockey Analyst, will join me. John Pollock at 1230 from PostWrestling.com. Chat about the big UFC card from Vegas that happened on Saturday. Brock Lesnar announcing his return to the Octagon. And a huge card coming in December to Toronto from the UFC. Also, if you have fantasy football questions, your draft is coming up soon. You need advice? You want tips? Got you covered. Rich Dotson, founder of DynastyNerds.com at 105. So if you want to tweet me in some of your questions, you can do that at AndyMC81 on Twitter. Now, getting some good replies to our poll question here, which is, uh, at TSN 1050 Radio, which Maple Leafs player finishes with the most points next season? John Tavares, Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, or William Nylander? Tavares, Matthews, Marner, or Nylander? I voted Matthews. That's the leader in the clubhouse so far. 45%. Tavares at 27%. Marner at 25 And poor wee Willie Nylander, 3%. That's it for Willie. No one thinks Willie's going to lead the team in points. But we are getting some... Interesting feedback on, for Keith Bauer, our producer's point, we have a vote for Mitch Marner. This is from at JordanT89 on Twitter. It says, I can see Marner having 60-plus assists and leading the team. And that's what you have to look at for a Mitch Marner type to this question. Now, you can't just be 60. <laughs> and that's that's a, a hell of a get to begin with. But if Mitch Marner can sprinkle in some more goals... With that assist, with the, the playmaking ability, he's a dark horse to do that. Now we have from at Millsy51 says, Who cares? Should be which team finishes with more points. And even more important, which team is holding the Stanley Cup team success over individual success. Hashtag TML talk. And of course, Millsy, that's, that's obvious. That's, that's what we all want. Ask John Tavares. That's what he wants. He had lots of individual success on Long Island. What did it get him? Nothing. Individual success is fun if you're the fan of a crappy team because that's all you have to go on, right? You have your likely one star and you hope they do well because you need something fun to watch. But with this Leafs case, what makes the question so interesting is now with the joining of Tavares, you have so many options on the power play, juggling lines. You could throw Nazem Kadri in there too. Like There are a lot of possibilities with this Leafs team of who can score the most. And ultimately, yeah, I don't care if they all score the same amount of points as long as you win. And neither do they. John Tavares took less money, took on more pressure, more eyeballs to come home to try to win a title. And that's now where we know where John Tavares' head is at. Now we know. Everyone says they want to win. We didn't know that before. He could have gone for more money, could have gone to a warmer climate, could have gone to somewhere where the fan base isn't as rabid and the media scrutiny is not nearly as great as it's going to be here. He chose, and he said so, get out of his comfort zone to come here, play with Austin Matthews and the rest. This is going to be a fun fall. So we have a Marner vote. We have, uh, let's see, Matthews from at MacArthur 11. Matthews gets power play time bump, and his numbers soar. And that's an area with Austin Matthews that... You'd really expect with this addition and hope 
that his power play numbers do go up because the majority of his points were at even strength. I had the tweet before from uh, Matthew Antunes. Tavares, he's playing with Marner. I'm calling 45 goals, 50 assists. Going big. Going big for, for Johnny Tavares. And just the way these lines can get shimmied up, like what a great problem for Mike Babcock to have. What a great problem. Where, where do you put Tavares? Where, look up the middle. Tavares, Matthews, Kadri. Like that is. And then the power play. My goodness. Let's talk about Leafs and also some other signings around the NHL. Dave Poulin, our terrific TSN hockey analyst. Dave, how's it going? Going well, Andy. How are you doing? Doing well, sir. And before we get to the Leafs talk, a couple hours ago it was announced the Tampa Bay Lightning locking in Nikita Kucherov to an eight-year, $76 million extension. And Dave, we're so hung up, obviously, about the excitement of John Tavares coming to town, but that Atlantic, especially the top with the Lightning, Bruins, and Maple Leafs, that division is going to be a lot of fun this year. It really is, Andy. And you know, and we were all speculating on where a certain number 65 in Ottawa may be going that could affect that even further. Now, I don't know whether the uh, Kucherov signing, you know, preempts that or changes the flow of that, or if it's tied to it in any manner, but it does seem the timing is a little bit off. We, you know, you hadn't even heard a word about negotiations, which is as it should be, but for him to get done is a, is a obviously a great situation for Tampa and they may in fact, be moving on from Carlson with that signing. But it's still a longer-term thing for Carlson in terms of how it would fit. Next year, Kutrov is signed on his old contract at like $4.7 million. So short-term, it's still fine. But uh, I thought the timing was interesting. So when we look at, at Carlson, and that's, that's the next big piece, we'd think, to fall somewhere in the NHL, how much do you put? Because you... you you hear it, Dave, right? Like, uh, oh, Ottawa's not going to trade in the division or not trade with this team or, or X team. Do you think that is as much of a factor, uh, more so than, okay, let's get the best deal? Because if I'm Ottawa, you're not contending. I would be looking to get the best deal no matter who the team is. Do you think that's a factor of where where he could go? Ottawa has, has some sort of idea? I think you have to be looking at the best deal, Andy. I yeah. really do. And it's just a complex situation. And you know, to to have been through with Mike Hoffman and, and make a statement about not trading in the division, see him come back into your division hours later, <laughs> you know, shows you how fickle it can be. And in this situation, I think the complexity continues to be Bobby Ryan's contract. And I maintained and was very vocal that you have to totally separate those two things because if you are trading Eric Carlson that's what you're going to be judged on is the return on that. No one's ever going to factor in from a fan standpoint that, oh, yeah, but you got rid of a contract. And the other factor about Bobby Ryan's contract is it's going to be a – he has signing bonuses involved, so it's going to be a cap over cash situation and not to get too complex. But when the cap number is higher than the cash number, that becomes attractive to low-budget teams hmm. because if you're trying to get to the floor and you have – you have a higher cap number than a cash number that becomes a cheap contract for you. And it's been proven. I mean, you, you, you can trade these contracts from Chris Pronger to, you know, uh, to David Clarkson to Pavel Dadzuk. These contracts are movable contracts. And so I don't see the necessity to tie it to Eric Carlson. I would separate those two things, but here's an irony for you, Andy. One thing that could be holding this up, is 
look at all of the heat that Joe Sackett took in Colorado for how slow and methodical he was in trading Matt Duchesne. Right. And yet, look at the home run he hit in that deal. And it wasn't really a three-team deal. The, the um, tourist deal was made to Colorado, and then tourists was traded to Nashville. So he essentially really did a great job, Joe Sackick did on that, of, of taking one player and turning him into two commodities and getting a real bounty in return. It wasn't a three-way deal. That's a little bit of a misnomer. Yes, three teams were involved, but it was two distinctly different deals. So he traded tourists, got that ransom back, traded four tourists, and then traded tourists and got that ransom back mm. in, in Samuel Gerard from Nashville. And he was praised so much after being criticized, all of a sudden he was praised. It was, wow, look at the patience he showed, and look at what he got back. So in the back of, of Pierre Dorian's mind is that factor in there because he was one of the teams involved in that deal. Right. Dave, that's such a great point. Because, yeah, all the media pressure, and especially for Ottawa, who, if they're real, real with themselves, they're not doing anything this year. Right? This is, this is a, you got to start figuring out the future. So, as far as, there's not a rush, per se, to try to, okay, we got to get Carlson done here because we're trying to get pieces back to, to go for it. It's, well, it's not to get the best deal. The though, Andy, is, is the player still does control this to a point. Yeah. You know, that's the one complexity here. And, you know, depending on Eric Carlson's timing and what he's going to do, and, and we just watched a pretty significant free agent and John Tavares walk on his team at the end of it. And, and I was a free agent once in my career. And when I got through to Christmas, I was in Boston, and I got through to Christmas, and the Boston management group approached me one day and said, hey, we'd really like to talk contract now. And I said, no, I'm fine, thanks. <laughs> you know, I've played half the year with no deal moving forward. I'm going to play the second half of the deal and exercise my right to be a free agent. And that's the danger you get into mm. with a player. Once he's absorbed some of the risk of playing that final year of his contract, he may just say, hey, I've only got three more months here. I- I'm willing to accept the rest of the risk. So you could get in that mindset as a player of, I want, and I, I would assume, Dave, too, to a point, it's kind of, it's probably nerve-wracking a bit, but it's also probably a little bit exciting if you've never gone through that process, right? Well, it is, and the rules were very different then, and, and you had to be 31 and you to be an outright free agent, but you also, um, there was a league average contract involved at that point, and so to get there was almost unheard of at that point, and I had qualified in every manner. Now it's a little bit different, and you can essentially get there at 25 years old if you've played seven years in the NHL and your contract lines up with your age. But, yes, I did get to a certain point, and I'm like, you know what, I, I'm, I've earned the right to explore the market, and I'm going to do that. And, and that's one of the things the player does control right now in Ottawa. And you have to be careful of. In conversation with Dave Poulin, TSN Hockey Analyst on Twitter, at DJPoulin20. So, Dave, back to the Maple Leafs here. So we're all we're still all excited on, on John Tavares coming, the possibilities there. With the defense, what type of defender, what type of upgrade do you think the Maple Leafs can make? Because I get, I get tweets in and all that, like, oh, go, get, go get Carlson, go get XYZ superstar, and we know that's really not... A, a possibility because of financials and et cetera. But to upgrade, is it like w- would kind of that that stay at home, not a sexy name, but just somebody as far as an upgrade, clear the zone type of guy? Is that the type of defender the Maple Leafs will try to get to to try to upgrade that unit as a whole in some way? 
Well, I'm laughing because I was asked this question like seven seconds after Tavares was signed. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I just laughed. We were on the panel that day, and I'm like, is, is anybody going to enjoy this if you're a yes, Maple Leafs fan for exactly. just a couple of minutes? Maybe just say, wow, this is really great. Let's not focus on immediately on what else we can do. <laughs> um, a couple of thoughts on that, Andy. You know, last year they made a decision to stay in-house and, and try and – an upgrade from within in, in Callie Rosen and Andreas Borgman, who both started the year up with the big team. So I would expect a year later, you're going to do something of the same fashion, maybe include Justin Hall in that group. Um, Timothy Lilligan may get exhibition games. Uh, Andrew Nielsen, who was pretty highly regarded, maybe you know got passed by a little bit, but that's all in-house. And you've got six Leaf defensemen signed, um, you lose Roman Polak. Uh, the, there's a wild card here in Igor Ashanaganov, if I'm saying that correctly, um, the, the 25-year-old Russian that was signed, the Russian defender. That's a wild card for everybody. Nobody knows exactly how he will fit into the mix. But there is one name out there, Andy, and that would maybe I be considering, and I didn't get to see this team a lot this year, and I did not see them live. But just in looking at the numbers, the last two years, he's been a very dependable player. And I always look for some sort of connection. This player does have a connection with the head coach and Mike Babcock. And, you know, he's a veteran player, very cerebral player. And if you're bringing an older player into the mix, like Ron Hainsey, I believe, has done for them, you want that cerebral aspect of the game where players learn from watching a player like that. And that's Dan Hammy, sort of Dallas Hmm. You know, he's 35 years old. He played, he was part of the Sochi Canada Olympic team for Mike Babcock. Very, very dependable. And so is that, you know, at 35, is that a low risk situation that you could bring a player in? And, you know, what they've been able to get from Ron Hainsey to me is absolutely remarkable. And I thought that was a very, very under the radar signing when they made it coming out of Pittsburgh and, you know, he, he has really been an important part of that group. And, and could they repeat that formula, you know, without giving anything up in the trade and build some security back there for, you know, the Rosens and Borgmans and Lilligren, Hole, whoever that is, to maybe buy a little more time. Now, what you'll start playing with shortly here is the waiver situation with some of these guys. Like Justin Hole would need waivers to go down to the Marlies. Did he impress hmm. other teams this year where they're willing to take a chance on him? So, that's the game you play in terms of controlling a player and you don't control them past a certain age and then you would have to expose them to waivers. Now, you know, there are ways to get players through. There's a timing issue. It seems like, you know, a couple of days before the waiver push in training camp, there's so many names on that, you know, players slide through that surprise you a little bit. And, you know, in this case, they have players in the same pool Maybe the case, but I wouldn't be surprised to see them stay status quo and go with the young core group and reward some of the guys that were big role players in that Calder Cup championship for the Marlies. And, you know, because that's the whole tenet or idea is to say, hey, we're going to reward and, and, you know, promote from within. And ideally, that's a perfect situation if you have it. So taking a look in house is the first thing. But if I'm looking at that free agent market, that's probably a phone call I would make.
Interesting. Yeah, so kind of that, that balance. And you talk about rewarding, and, and that's the funnel. You want to get that homegrown talent. So if you're looking to reward players for that Calder Cup run, we got to go to the goaltender, Garrett Sparks. What do we do with him, Dave? Because that's, that's really interesting to me. Do you have him up and, and help spell Freddie Anderson more than just, okay, uh, your typical backup, go grab the second end of a doubleheader. What do you do with McElhaney? Like, how do you think the spark situation works in? Because that could be a trade chip. Like, there's, there's a lot of different things you could do there. Goaltenders are so hard to develop. Yeah. They just are because you want to give them more time. They develop slower, and yet sometimes the rules force your hand and don't allow for that. But Curtis McElhaney had a terrific year last year. And, you know, he was 11-5-1, but his numbers were just outstanding. And so is it not, does it not behoove you to give him the first option to play more games? It wasn't sure. his fault. He hmm. only played in, in 17 games. That was dictated, you know, by the coach. And if you really do want to lighten Freddie Anderson's load, do you not have an excellent option to do that in Curtis McElhaney by just increasing his workload? And don't forget, he was playing off in the back-to-back on second nights, um, so he's got a, a more tired team in front of him, so maybe he's not seeing you know, his, his own team at its very best defensively on some occasions, and he's got a much tougher schedule. So if you gave him certain games within that that maybe were more favorable – could you increase his workload to 25 games? And, you know, that, I think that's a very real possibility. Now, you're going to have to deal with, you know, how to continue to figure out Garrett Sparks and what his role is in the organization. And that's a really, really tricky part because they've got the other young kid, uh, Kazmir uh, Kaskasiu, who they signed out of Minnesota Duluth, and they actually had to loan him out this year. They had him in the East Coast League, and then they loaned him to the Chicago Wolves. Hmm. And you can do that in the American Hockey League. So he was able to play in the American Hockey League, you know, at a competitive level, but still be in the Leafs organization. So it's not only Garrett Sparks they're dealing with in terms of developing, but I think ideally, you know, you want your prospect, your top prospect, to be an odd-numbered goalie in your organization. Because an odd-numbered goalie is a starting goalie. Okay. And if you're number one, you're starting in the NHL. If you're number two, you're backing up in the NHL. If you're number three, that odd-numbered number three, then you're starting in the American Hockey League. And then maybe your next best prospect should essentially be number five, starting in the East Coast Hockey League. Because you want to get that starter's mentality going. And you, you see a lot of teams struggle with a young backup because it's such a hard role to play. And I always thought the perfect situation was what the Leafs have right now with the veteran backup goaltender. Arguably the best I ever saw at work was with Ron Hextall in Philadelphia. And people don't realize that during that year, we traded for Chico Resch and brought him in as a backup. And Chico Resch was an excellent, excellent backup in that finals cup run in 87 to Ron Hextall because veteran goalies are much more willing to share. They're right. much more willing to talk. They're much more willing, even with shooters, they're much more willing to give up, you know, and, and have a conversation after. And Chico would say, why would you shoot there? And I'd look at him and go, no goalie ever asked me that. Because I was <laughs> trying to stop the puck. And, you know, so 
I think that's what Curtis McElhaney brings, that stability to a group and, you know, the willingness to, to do what has to be done. It's a very difficult role to play, but I'm not quite certain, even with his, his opportunity to go to the World Championships this year, something that, you know, really a backup goalie never gets to do something like that. And, you know, does he have, I think your first look may be, does he have more to give this team than the number of games he played and started last year? Hmm. And then, yeah, with Garrett Sparks, it all comes down to, I guess, his mentality because you have to balance that out too, right? Okay, I've done all this at the AHL. I've been uh, playing phenomenal. When when do I get my reward, right? Like, well, what, no is question. that balance? No question. And these are the kind of of decisions that have to be made, you know, in a, in a beautiful sunny day in July <laughs> when the sky is blue and yes. no one else is thinking about hockey and that's what a management group is has in the back of their mind, wherever they are, and however they're enjoying this day, somewhere in the back of their mind, something floats through. If you're on a golf course or on a lake or wherever you (laughs) may be, it floats through the back of your mind, the exact questions you're asking me right now. Boy, well, it's going to be a fun look ahead to the fall. Uh, Dave, thank you so much as always. Okay, Andy, always a pleasure. All right, Dave Poulin, TSN Hockey Analyst on Twitter, at DJPoulin20. That's what I want to know. How do you handle that backup situation to ease Freddie's load. And Dave brings up such great points with McElhaney, but then there's Sparks. And and again, we don't know. We're not in his head. We're not in Sparks' head. Maybe he's cool going back. Okay, I'll wait. Or is it is it a demotivator? I've done everything. Goaltender, the MVP, this, this, this. What else do I have to do? Does that wear on Sparks? I don't know. That's going to be the question. And then... You can couple in if you want to go and try to get an upgrade on defense, depending on who that might be. Is it goaltender X plus a William Nylander for fun to go get a guy? And there's so many complications with the accounting and finance, right? It's, it's tough to play fantasy trade without knowing all contract details. But you have some depth there. You have some meat to possibly deal. That's, that situation is going to be fascinating to follow. All right, so at bottom of the hour, John Pollock is going to be on from postwrestling.com. Chat about the big UFC card, Brock Lesnar's return, and UFC coming to Toronto in December. But I want to dip back in to this midday host, Evan Roberts, WFAN New York, chirping, burying John Tavares' decision to come back to Toronto. In the first clip we played, it was him saying, sabotage, deliberate. He was calling that JT was was deliberately just leading on the Islander fans, which is ridiculous, of course. But Evan Roberts, he wasn't done talking about JT. You telling me he didn't know? He tweets a picture in pajamas with the Maple Leaf logo. Oh, it's a boyhood dream. He didn't know he had a boyhood dream six months ago. He didn't know he had a boyhood dream a year ago. He didn't know he had a boyhood dream as he's going past the deadline. Lou is standing there waiting, trying to get this guy back. I'm not saying the Islanders are going to do much else in free agency, but they have to stand still waiting for this guy. He didn't know. It took him into the last second. He couldn't have hosed the Islanders anymore if he tried. Evan Roberts with the misguided hot take from WFAN New York. Of course, what athlete grows up in his hometown and is a fan of the team that doesn't have somewhere, hey, that'd be pretty cool, play for the hometown team? He had leaf bedsheets. Maybe his parents sent that to him. I don't know. 
for that to be for for some underlying just just anger for John Tavares say I'm going to show these Islanders <laughs> some evil planning. No, he was a free agent. The Islanders did nothing, nothing to build around him the whole time. Guess how long the Islanders have had to try to build something of relevance around John Tavares to get him to stay. Uh, since uh, uh, 2009, 2010, that's when he played 82 regular season games. For You've had a lot of time to try to get him to to sign up, to be there, to buy. And by the way, 2009, 10 to now, long time. Nine years. Couldn't do it. I've heard, oh, well, we have a state-of-the-art stadium coming. W- uh, uh, when? And and where? And maybe? And who cares? Islanders suck. You didn't build around your guy, and now he's gone. And Kyle Dubas duped the godfather, Lou Lamorello. He's coming home. Wanted to come home. Now, Steven Stamkos, different situation. Tampa Bay Lightning, damn good team. He was courted. He could have come home. And chose to stay in Tampa Bay, along with turning down many other teams. Tampa Bay was in a different situation. If the Islanders were in playoff contention, Stanley Cup ready... We might be having a different conversation. But JT, welcome, baby. Islanders fans, New York. Sorry about that. We'll talk some UFC after the break. John Pollock, UFC coming back to Toronto. Brock Lesnar returning here on Toronto Today. Oh, the WWE entrance theme music of Brock Lesnar. Why is that relevant? Well... Big Brock is returning to the Octagon, to the UFC. Huge super fight in Vegas over the weekend, UFC 226. The announcement that the Ultimate Fighting Championship is coming back to Toronto. And we welcome you back to Toronto today here on TSN 1050, tsn1050.ca, and on the iHeartRadio app. I'm Andy McNamara with you until 1.30. Then pregame coverage of France versus Belgium. The first semifinal match of the World Cup and kickoff at 2 right here on TSN 1050. But a lot to dig into when it comes to mixed martial arts and the UFC specifically. Welcome on my guest, John Pollock from postwrestling.com, one of the best in the biz. Always like talking with him. Johnny, how's it going, man? Oh, it's going great, Andy. Thanks for having me on today. Oh, a pleasure. And so let's let's start with the card itself. UFC 226, we had the super fight, Stipe Miocic versus Daniel Cormier, light heavyweight champ, uh, champion versus champion. Cormier came out on top. After the first round KO, what? First of all, the takeaway from that fight: Did it go as you expected? Did you expect Cormier to come out? I think that for Daniel Cormier, I thought he was a larger underdog than he had any right to be going into this fight. Uh, Stipe Miocic, for all intents and purposes, is among the greatest heavyweights of all time, and certainly of this generation. When you look at the murderer's row that he has gone through, and what has been largely a hot potato championship that he has play some stability with holding that heavyweight title as long as he has. So while I, I found it a very hard fight to kind of look at, knowing the fact that Daniel Cormier has had greater success at heavyweight, that said, it's been several years since he has fought at such a, a higher weight than he was competing at at, at light heavyweight, obviously. So, I, I mean, Daniel Cormier, so much of our focus is on his wrestling and not enough credit is given to his striking that I think that was one of the notable takeaways was that great clinch work he used that set up the 
the knockout at the end. And, you know, just a storybook ending of Daniel Cormier finally winning a championship that there is no dispute amongst his placement within that weight class. And when we look at, at Stipe Miocic, such a, a great story. And as you said, went through the murderer's row of competition, not really getting the uh, international maybe uh, kudos that he deserves, being the firefighter, still keeping his firefighter job, like kind of that, mm-hmm. that great all-American hero type of guy. Do you see him now getting brushed aside in the division? Or if he wins a fight or two, can you see him getting back to, to getting a title shot? It's always tough when you see somebody lose in the fashion of which he did. I mean, this wasn't a narrow decision loss. It wasn't like it was a pretty definitive stoppage that you always have to question how does the guy come back from that fight? How demoralizing will that be? And being stopped in the way in which he, he was stopped. Um, you know, his, his, his loss, uh, years ago to, to Stefan Struve, that was kind of, um, offset at the time where he came back and went on an incredible run that eventually led him to this championship. So Steve Miocic is still young enough that I feel he's still going to be a major uh, force within that heavyweight division, especially when, you know, Andy, we look at uh, six months from now, this heavyweight division on top could look vastly different if Daniel Cormier, in fact, retires and what the longevity of Brock Lesnar in this division is that Steve Miocic very well could be heavyweight champion again within the span of, of 12 months. Interesting. In conversation with John Pollock, postwrestling.com and on Twitter at I am John Pollock. So, match is over. Cormier wins via knockout. New champ has two belts, grabs the mic from Joe Rogan, calls out the big man. Brock Lesnar who's dapper in his suit, comes up to the octagon, and John, he pushes the champ. And what I still love, we all know you're, uh, I'm an old school wrestling guy. You're obviously uh, big into wrestling as well uh, with postwrestling.com. But the, the fact that people are still, oh, how could, how could he push the champ? It's a work. It's for entertainment. Like some people still getting worked up about, my God, like it's clearly a wrestling angle that we're able to appreciate and it's for show. Like that's, that, that's what gets me. What did you make of that whole interaction with Brock and Cormier? Well, I, I think it, it's two guys that are very good friends that were in there and they were conducting business. Like right. That is what that was. It was two guys that understand that they are going to make a lot of money together and they were going to maximize the stage they were on for that inevitable payoff and the question of when this payoff will occur. That was strictly business between those two. And I, I think that had it been the other way around, uh, and Steve Miocic had won that fight, you're not getting anywhere close to the scene you got with Daniel Cormier being involved. I mean, those, mm. are, those are two businessmen, and that is why that it's going to turn off some people, but this is what this industry is. This is not something that fell out of the sky and <laughs> landed in an octagon on Saturday night for the first time. It's, uh, it's kind of silly to just look at this as some kind of indictment of how business is done. It's always been the way business has been done when you're talking about asking fans to spend a lot of money for a fight on pay-per-view. Yeah, you have to make them care. And, of course, Brock, with the WWE background, few do it better in the octagon than him. So they push, they shove. What really do we expect or can we expect out of Brock Lesnar, John? Because last time out, uh, if I'm not mistaken, he won via knockout, but it was a, a, it was a match set up that he, he should win. He's older, coming off of the drug uh, suspension. Where, what should we expect out of Brock Lesnar at this stage in his career? 
Well, the last fight was the Mark Hunt fight two years yes. ago, and it was largely just using his wrestling, and it, it was a decision victory he got. And then afterwards, it, it was essentially the, the drug test failures that overshadowed that entire spectacle. But at the time, you know, that night, and I was covering that card in Las Vegas, was you have never seen a guy that was just so happy to be back in that world. At that post-fight press conference, Brock Lesnar was all smiles, and it seemed that this guy had a, a legitimate interest in continuing this. And then all the drug test failures came out. He was suspended. He had the retirement in 2017. So all of that was kind of vanquished. But that night, um, you know, say what you will about what was in his system at that time, he beat a quality heavyweight in Mark Hunt. Now he's two years older, so that's, that's a big factor. I think he's certainly going to be an underdog against Daniel Cormier. Um, but that said, I think that the, it would be foolish to completely discount uh, Brock Lesnar in this fight, uh, even though I, I think the striking, if we go back to that, of Daniel Cormier is going to be a big factor in that fight. And when he lands on Brock Lesnar, uh, how well he, he can eat a punch, because that's been mm. an Achilles heel for Brock Lesnar in past fights. John, is there a date set for this fight, and what is Brock going to be doing involved with the WWE up until then? Is there kind of the cutoff where he's going to stop fully and go train? Or Yeah, so USADA just released a statement because um, I had reached out to, to contact USADA because everyone wanted to know when did he officially re-enter the USADA testing pool. And for those unaware, when a fighter retires and then makes the choice to come back, you have to go through six months of drug testing. So you can't just retire, um, get on a cycle, and then immediately pop back in hmm. on four weeks' notice to have a fight. They want to have a prolonged period to see that this athlete is clean. On top of that, Brock Lesnar still had six months and a couple of days left on a suspension that was frozen when he retired. So he is eligible to fight uh, the second week of January is when he's eligible to fight again. So it would have to be after that point in time, um, whether it be a pay-per-view in January, maybe Super Bowl weekend, something like that. That's kind of the time frame, the loose time frame we're looking at. Regarding the WWE, um, I had been told as recently as Sunday that he is expected to be working SummerSlam and then appear the night after SummerSlam on Raw. Beyond that, I'm not aware of, of any dates he has. So, it's always kind of very closely guarded of Brock Lesnar's uh, dates with the WWE and how long this extension is. His deal was up earlier this year, and he, he signed an extension, the length of which uh, we're not exactly sure of. But it would certainly be a line in the sand that once he has a fight in mind, I don't think you will see much of him at all in the WWE, and it will be completely focused on, on getting ready for Daniel Cormier when that fight occurs. Chatting with John Pollock from PostWrestling.com. And that's, that's disappointing, John, because I was, I was hoping that that fight might be able to happen at the Toronto card in December. So that's definitely not going to go down. Uh, the announcement, UFC returning to Toronto. Um, any idea what we should be expecting out of, out of this card um, when they do come back? Like what, who, who, might be, who might be fighting or the, the, the type of level? Like are we looking maybe a, a, a super fighter or is this going to be a big deal card? Um, it, it's going to be tough because it's going to be sandwiched in between what's going to be a very high-priority card the month prior at Madison Square Garden and then the annual, the year-end card at the end of December in Las Vegas. Right. So over the weekend, they announced that uh, Robert Whitaker and Kelvin Gaslam are going to be coaching the next season of Tough and then fight for the middleweight championship. And they have not announced a date for that card, for that fight, 
but I can see that ending up in on the Toronto card. I mean, they they like to have title fights on pay-per-view. Um, and it's going to just come down to a question of what what champions are available at that time. And this many months out, it, it's kind of hard to lock down. But I think that Whitaker and Gaskell, that would that would make sense to me as a card that they would target that title fight for. John, always appreciate the time, man. Thank you so much. Anytime, Andy. Thanks a lot. All right, John Pollock from postwrestling.com on Twitter at I am John Pollock for all your UFC and pro wrestling news. Make sure you check him out there. We will step aside, have an update on our Leafs Twitter poll question at TSN 1050 Radio. Which Leaf is going to have the most points this season? You can vote there. What do you want the Leafs to do on defense at goaltending with Sparks? We'll also get into some Raptors debate. How ridiculous is the talk of Kawhi Leonard maybe becoming a Raptor via trade? We'll get into that and much more here in Toronto today. All right, now here is... A situation, and as Raptors fans, we we hope, right? We want Toronto to be in the conversation for, if not a super team, getting a big name. Tired of being dumped on as, oh, it's Canada and you can't get anything. Well, rumors or theory or hypotheticals about Kawhi Leonard, a deal to Toronto, have been surfacing. General Manager Masai Ujiri has said, everything's on the table. Anybody can be dealt all options open. And I think that is more true than ever with LeBron James going to the Lakers. He's out of the East. The excuses are gone. You want to go for it? Now's the time. But guess what? Boston's going for it. Philly's going for it. Heck, Detroit might be going for it. Milwaukee, there's the East is now cluttered. There isn't a LeBron. Are the Celtics on paper much better than the Raptors? Perhaps. But there's no LeBron. You keep coming back to that. No LeBron. There's no kryptonite in the Raptors' head on the floor. Nobody could beat him. Not just the Raptors. Nobody could get past him. Now he's out of the way. So that to me says, I don't care how good other teams are, no other team has LeBron James. That means for the Raptors, there's no excuses. So would Kawhi Leonard, who has one year left on his deal, coming to the Raptors make sense with the thought that he'll probably leave after. Now, you could bet on yourself, like Paul George and OKC. All thoughts he was going to go to the Lakers, he re-upped. You have a year to convince the player to stay. A year recruiting job. It's a gamble. Would you like to see Kawhi Leonard? Yes, of course. Guy when healthy is a superstar. Might be a little bit of a head case. There's that conversation too out of the Spurs. But you would take him. The problem to me comes down to this. The Spurs, one, don't have to trade him. They can let him walk away. You'd think they'd want something and somebody maybe not happy, but they're not going to be fleeced. That organization is built too well and is too smart to just dump them. Much like what the Cavs did when they, uh, when they lost Kyrie Irving. He wanted out, they got rid of him, and it blew up. Spurs aren't going to do that. What could the Raptors offer to make it worth their while. Is it now? Is it during the season that it makes more sense? That's where it comes into. Because remember, we know the Raptors. We value Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan very highly. Now, if it's me, if you get rid of DeRozan for... Le- like, why? That's that, that makes no sense. Because if he leaves, you're really done. Lowry at his age, with his... And let's call it. Okay, in the playoffs? He's choked. 
whether it's injury, inflame this, poor shooting, whatever. Kyle Lowry has proven to this point, there's still time to prove it otherwise, but to this point, to not be a clutch playoff performer. So you have to look at it from the other side, too. What would the Spurs want back? How much? When is the timing? Now, producer Keith Bauer, I brought up this topic, and you're like, it's ridiculous. It was hot take Keith. He didn't... He didn't like it. He didn't like it. Hot no. take Keith did not want any, any sort of Kawhi talk. Now, and I think it comes back to, Keith, of why would the Spurs do this deal with the Raptors? What would they get back? Like, really, the big chip? I'm not sending DeRozan. What, I'm sending Lowry? Like, why would they want him? No, that's the thing. I just, I don't see, I mean, I know in years past, there's been some, at least reportedly, some interest on uh, the Spurs end from signing Kyle Lowry, but just based, I mean, based on the product we've seen in the playoffs over the past couple seasons, I just, I I don't see a point. Um, so, no, I I have no interest in this rumor. It's not going to happen. There's no way that Kawhi is coming here. At it's, least not. Like, no. The only way I could see is maybe like during the season approaching Christmas, you know, like partway through the year, and the Spurs might see, well, he's going to go. Maybe we deal him for something. M- maybe? Yeah, it's, it's hard to say. I still think right? there, there's still so much that needs to happen between now and then. I mean, there's even been reports of Kawhi saying that he's going to sit out and won't play as long as he's a member of the Spurs. So um, I, just, I, it's, I, I just think it's funny how quickly the kind of the opinion of Kawhi has changed because <laughs> a couple seasons ago, it's, you know, it's this quiet, humble guy, really a part of the Spurs system, loves Greg Popovich, loves what they're all about. And now the tables have just completely turned to the point where he wants out of there. Wants out. And not only that, I just don't know what other team would want him for this season when he's only on the one-year deal. He's pretty much come out and said, I want to play for the Lakers. He has literally so, said that. So, he has said, I want to play in L.A. So I just don't see what kind of benefit there is to having this guy for one year when you know he has no interest in the team, no commitment. And that's something that Masai Ujiri from day one has said that he is he wants guys who... Well, essentially, want to be here, want to buy in. So, so I just think making a deal for Kawhi would be very, be very anti-Masai. Yeah, it depends. It really depends what the price point is. And again, I would see this more as coming down to something during the season if the Spurs just want to get something. And that's why the Lakers aren't going too hard on him because they think, well, if he wants to come here, get him next year. Now, the other side of that is, well, you got LeBron James. You want to take full advantage because as the Lakers are built now. They're not taking out the Warriors. Sorry. Like, what, Lonzo and LeVar? Rondo? Like, no. They're they're just not built that way. Now, if you add a healthy Kawhi Leonard to the mix, things start to get interesting. So, I'm looking at this from the standpoint, wherever Kawhi goes, if he goes anywhere, because the Spurs just might be, screw you, Kawhi, we're going to sit on you, you're going to do nothing, you don't want to play? Okay. We're, we feel we're strong enough in an organization to overcome that. Maybe that's the mindset. But I think it's during the season that he gets dealt. Would be nice, though, wouldn't it, for the Raptors to get a big free agent? Like, we don't even consider ourselves in any of it, of any big free agent. We're just resigned, and it's starting to be factual at this point, of, well, guess we'll just roll with what we got, and that's it. And so, with the Raptors... I wonder what the plan is going to be. I'm thinking it's minor tweaks off-season, see how it goes during the year, make some sort of move at the end of 2018, at the Christmas break. Make a move then to then push to the playoffs. But I just don't see any super mega deal trade happening. 
again, you have to have pieces to deal. You have to have players that want to come here or stay if they're on an expiring contract. Like, that's where the Raptors are kind of caught in limbo. Like, regular season studs can't get it done in the playoffs. Does not having LeBron there make that much of a difference? And, oh, yeah, by the way, Philly's getting better. Boston is going to get healthier at some point. That's where it's tough. But if I'm the Raptors, if I'm a Sayu Jiri man, if you have an early playoff exit this year, that seat gets hot for you. Fired your coach. You made your move. Every GM gets to hire their guy. Now, he was able to extend this very impressively with Dwayne Casey. He didn't use that bullet, though, until now. Now, Nick Nurse, he's your guy. What are you going to do? Because there's no LeBron excuse, and if Kawhi doesn't come, and you don't do anything else notable to improve, and it's another early exit, then the seat starts to get real hot. We'll step aside, and on the other side of the break, it's going to be some NFL offseason talk, some fantasy football draft advice for your keepers, for your draft, for PPR, whatever your draft situation, fantasy football. Rich Dotson, founder of DynastyNerds.com, joins me at 105. Send in your tweets, your questions, and we'll try to get him into Rich. That and more coming up on Toronto Today. Looks like Saquon Barkley's in pretty good shape there, Eli. Yeah, we have a similar similar physique, <laughs> I would say. Uh, have you met him? You know, I probably squat a little bit more than him, but uh, but you know, but he's still he's just a rookie, so I got a few years on him. That was Eli Manning on the Dan Patrick Show talking about second overall pick Saquon Barkley, running back stud. And if you haven't seen Saquon Barkley, uh, the, the the physiques are uh, are not similar. Are not, not similar. The arms are huge. The legs are massive. Welcome back to Toronto today here on TSN 1050. TSN1050.ca on the iHeartRadio app. I'm Andy McNamara. After this show at 1.30, it'll be pregame France versus Belgium. Kickoff at 2 p.m. Semifinal match one at the World Cup. You can follow us on Twitter. Myself at AndyMC81. On Instagram at AndyMC Sports and the station at TSN 1050 Radio. Now we're going to have some fantasy football Talking just a couple minutes with Rich Dotson, founder at DynastyNerds.com. So if you're prepping for your fantasy football draft, okay, this is the time. It's July. It's going to be coming quick. You might already be informed if you have a, a dynasty league, right? If you have, if if you're trying to get ready with your friends and and get that little advantage, Dynasty Rich, Rich Dotson from DynastyNerds.com is going to help us out in just a few minutes time and certainly Eli Manning possibly having a resurgence Odell Beckham Jr. Eli quoted as saying that Beckham looks like his old self at camp if he can keep his head together we know what OBJ can do and you mix in Saquon Barkley I Saquon Barkley was my NFL combine crush each year it seems I fall in love with one player out of the combine it was Saquon Barkley like this guy, what you want out of a out of a, a, a rookie back, a true bell cow, what that means is you want him to stay on the field all the time. You don't want a one-dimensional guy. You don't want to have to pull somebody in passing situations or if he has to pass protect. You can leave Saquon Barkley on the field all day, just like a Zeke Elliott. Now, the offensive line has been improved a bit on the Giants. You're able to couple that in. You can swing Barkley out as a short passing option. You can pound him up the middle. Rookie running backs, one of the few positions in the NFL we see that can make a day one impact. 
Not just in real life, but also on the fantasy roster. So where do running backs come into the equation? That gets really interesting. Zeke Elliott. Where does he line up? David Johnson. Don't forget about David Johnson. He's going to be back with the Cardinals. Everything kind of lines up because the running back position in fantasy, if you don't get a stud, and there are few of them because you have so many teams that are by committee. right? You have so many teams that have a rotation of two or three backs. The Seattle Seahawks have been driving people nuts since Marshawn Lynch left. Nuts. Green Bay Packers. In and out. In. You can't. New England Patriots. Try to figure that out on a Sunday. Bill Belichick rolls to whoever he wants out there. And when it comes to fantasy football, that's where it gets tricky. Because if you're pegging on a rotation guy, you just cross your fingers and hope it's his day. And it might not be. And if it's not, that could cost you your week. That could be difficult. If you missed any of the shows so far, John Pollock talking about UFC coming to Toronto, Dave Poulin, about a Leaf defense option that he likes, the goaltender situation, and John Tavares. You can catch all that on tsn1050.ca, and we tweeted up the links again as well at tsn1050radio. We'll get a uh, Twitter update in a little bit as well when it comes to uh, our TSN1050 Twitter poll question at tsn1050radio of... Which of the, these Leafs are going to score the most points this year? Tavares, Marner, Matthews, or Nylander? Who is going to score the most points? We'll get into that in just a few minutes. So, uh, we'll talk some fantasy football now. On the line, Rich Dotson, founder of DynastyNerds.com. Rich, how's it going, man? Good, Andy. Always good to be back on with you, man. Oh, absolutely. Hey, you know what? We're getting to that time, right? The camps are going to be starting up. And now, if you haven't already, start to make plans for your fantasy draft. Because, Rich, the worst thing is it comes to draft night, and you're like, oh, no, I didn't do enough. And then you end up drafting some guy just on name value, and, and then you're hosed. How, how far in advance, now, I know it's your job, but just in general, how far in advance should people start getting ready for their their fantasy football draft, like is it is now the right time? Is it wait till camp or? Well, it's always it's always good. All information's good information, so it's always good to have your toe in the water, so to speak, to kind of pay attention, see what's going around the landscape, of the NFL, little news and notes, and you really want to dig in. I say right around when training camp starts, so the last week of July, you really want to start gathering some good information and see where these players stand, not only you know in the NFL but on the NFL rosters and what scheme and where they sit in their depth charts, because. You know, the score fantasy points, you need to touch the ball, and that's kind of seeing who's going to fit where on each team. Now, I'll get to a, a Twitter question first right off the bat here for you, Rich, to make sure we get it in. Um, and you can follow Rich on Twitter, at DynastyRich, and uh, go uh, to DynastyNerds.com as well for your fantasy football advice. This comes from at DynastyFFPlayer. says, who would you rather have as your RB3 on a contending 12-team PPR roster? The cheaper-priced Lamar Miller or the high upside Deion Lewis? Yeah, I mean, there I'm. The high upside is going to be Deion Lewis. You know, Deion Lewis last year he led the league in yards after contact. Uh, he's somebody that in the second half he had the most rushing yards, averaged four point nine yards per carry. That's why I really don't get all this Derrick Henry love, who's going to be touchdown dependent. Deion Lewis, you know, seventy percent of his tat runs became in between the tackles. He's an overall solid running back, but he is going to split time with Derrick Henry. So. When it comes down to those touchdowns, you might have to be a little bit worried there for Deion Lewis. With Lamar Miller, he's a great sleeper this year. You know, 
The Texans didn't do anything to address the running back situation. You have Deontay Foreman, who's coming in off a tour Achilles, which a tour Achilles, that's just as bad as tearing a patella tendon. 30% of players that tear their Achilles never come back at all. So both of those players are nice guys, but for me, I'm going to go with a higher upside guy, and that's Deion Lewis. Go with Deion Lewis. Yeah, we saw how dynamic he could he could be there with New England a year ago. So when we're looking at, and you mentioned they're splitting time, and before you came on, Rich, I was saying, it is tough. If you don't go running back and get one of those very rare bell cows, you might be stuck in some free fall rotation, and you're panicking, and you're scouring the waiver wire every week to try to find a guy who's going to get some touches. Where are you at with drafting the upper echelon running back? Does that take precedent over... Uh, let's say an Antonio Brown as as a top wide receiver. Do you go running back first because if you fall too far back, you can get stuck? No, I don't personally. I, a lot of times, the best advice you can get is let the board come to you. Don't pigeonhole yourself. You know, don't say I got to take a running back. I have right. to take a receiver. You should you should look at the players. And I think I think over the last couple of years, Andy, we've really seen the landscape of the NFL change, where you know the running backs were. Few and far between, but with this huge influx of young running back talent that's come to the NFL over the last couple of years, there's actually a lot of running backs now in the NFL, and some of those elite receivers have kind of died down mm. a little bit here. So, yeah. so you, say you miss out on a Todd Gurley or a Le'Veon Bell or a Zeke Elliott early, you come back in the second round after you got your Antonio Brown or DeAndre Hopkins, and you can get a guy like Jarek McKinnon. You can get a guy like Christian McCaffrey. And also, you got to remember, in today's day and age with the PPR leagues, you know, these PPR running backs really hold their own in fantasy football. A guy like Duke Johnson last year finished as a running back one in PPR formats, strictly playing a slot receiver for the Cleveland Browns. One of the few upsides for our Browns there, uh, Rich, right? <laughs> Very, very few, Andy, but tide's turning. Yes, turning, my friend. And, and you know what? If you look at real quick, because the, um, the the Browns wide receiver core has been getting a lot of hype. Josh Gordon saying, hey, it, whether it's in jest or not, we feel that we're the best or one of the best in the whole NFL. Now, you look at Tyrod Taylor, and we know what he is. He's not a big number guy, but he's an efficient guy. With the wide receiver core, like a Josh Gordon, like a Jarvis Landry, Corey Coleman, I'm not too up on, but uh, Duke Johnson, uh, as far as that, where... How do you factor in the value of those receivers compared to Tyrod Taylor, who, again, we know isn't necessarily the most dynamic type of quarterback? Yeah, I mean, he's not overly dynamic, but look who Tyrod's been throwing the football to mm. over these last couple of years. Sure. I mean, the Buffalo, I mean, look at the Buffalo Bills this year. I mean, to me, if you're going to ask me, they're going to finish with the top four draft pick in the NFL. He took that team to the playoffs last year. Now, Barrett, they lost, they lost almost their entire offensive line. The receivers are Kelvin Benjamin, who's a big question mark just on weight alone, and Zay Jones, who, you know, he had one of the historically worst rookie years last year. And now he leaves there, and he comes here to Cleveland, where he's got Jarvis Landry, who's caught 100 footballs for four years straight. Josh Gordon, who has the potential to be the number one receiver in the entire NFL, a huge tight end in David Njoku, a great dynamic, uh, elusive running back in Duke Johnson. Uh, he's in a really good position to succeed. And Tyrod likes to throw those safe, short, intermediate passes. And what a better place person to do that with with a guy like Jarvis Landry. I think his stats are going to get a little bit of a boost, and I think he's a nice, safe play as a backup quarterback. But unless you play in a super flex league, Andy, I mean, quarterback is something you should wait on, and a guy like right. Tyrod Taylor is going to be started on a few and far between teams. Sure, and especially with, with Jarvis, if he can get up that average yard 
per reception to over 10, and he's going to be relied on in a PPR especially. Like, he's been a he's, – he's, he's gold, right? Especially as that, that kind of option where – in in that wide receiver group, you could, and it's been talked about with Todd Haley that they might slide him to the uh, outside. They they'll they'll move him all around. So I think he's going to become a more diverse type of weapon on that Browns team than he had a chance to be in Miami. Agree wholeheartedly, and he's already shown in OTAs that he he's still just as dynamic as ever. Yeah. And look for a little bit more Corey Coleman, maybe the rookie Antonio Callaway to see some more of that slot action, along with Duke Johnson, of course, too. In conversation with Rich Dotson, founder of DynastyNerds.com on Twitter, at DynastyRich. So let's get back to the running backs for a second. And you mentioned, yet yeah, we have a lot of, of young running backs coming in. And some of the tandems have, while it makes you sweat a little bit, have proved last year, if you look at the numbers, to pay off well. Like a Mark Ingram, Alvin Kamara, Devonta Freeman, Tevin Coleman. Where does Kamara's value go up and Ingram slip, considering Ingram is going to miss the first four games of the season uh, via suspension. Did, does Kamara shoot up some boards to you now? Yeah, I mean, well, it's kind of hard for him to shoot up any higher than yeah. this. Guys <laughs> go in at, like, number six overall after a dynamic year. People, people are like, wow, Alvin Kamara, that high? Absolutely that high. And a Sean Payton offense, the PPR running back, finishes as a running back one every single year. It wow. just shows you why scheme and fit are so important, not only in the NFL, but in fantasy football. You know, is Alvin Kamara the best running back in the NFL? No. But is he in a great system with a great scheme and a great players around him? Absolutely. Which puts him right around where he's going, right about running back six. And a guy like Mark Ingram, who's going to miss the first four games. Andy, that's a lot of games. When you're talking about a regular season of being 12 games in fantasy football, he is missing 33% of the season. That's a lot. That's a lot. And when every game counts for your fantasy team – that's a little bit too risky for me. And what if Kamara just comes in and he just dominates, which is highly likely. I mean, are they really going to cut back his carries drastically just to give Mark Ingram, who's, who's, his future in New Orleans isn't that long? I don't right. think so. Right, yeah, and, and that's, that's the problem you might go into. Now, the Carolina Panthers is a real interesting backfield. Really, if you look at Cam Newton as a whole, what – what he is expected to do, what he might do being inconsistent. But you have Christian McCaffrey, PPR darling, with C.J. Anderson, who ran out of steam at the end of his Broncos run. But with the Panthers, that combo, how do you feel about the Panthers' backfield coupled in with Cam Newton? Yeah, I think, well, obviously Christian McCaffrey, just being the PPR running back that he is, is going to be a solid running back one option. The guy is just a stud. He's electric with the ball. He's my number 10 overall fantasy running back on the year. Um, finishes running back one last year. Really like Christian McCaffrey. And I think C.J. Anderson's a nice compliment to what Jonathan Stewart did. Uh, you know, a nice grinder in between the tackles. Hopefully going to be their touchdown guy. They can move the ball downfield. So, you know, C.J. Anderson to me is a nice running back three, low-end running back three area right around there, where Christian McCaffrey to me is a high running back one, strictly on PPR value. Couple more for you here, uh, Rich. Now the tight end position has has been very uh, it's it, it's been interesting. I guess we could say over the last the last couple of years, you have Gronk. We know Gronk when healthy is the man, but you can't rely on him. Travis Kelsey has been great in KC. Then you start to really dip Zach Ertz, Olson, Engram for the Giants. Like when you're looking at drafting the tight end, what advice can you give our listeners as far as taking one high or, or what might be a value guy to keep an eye on? 
Now, I like to take the, I like to get a really good tight end. Like you mentioned, after those first three you mentioned, Kelsey, Ertz, and Gronkowski, there's some question marks starting mm-hmm. to pop up here. And to me, when you want to win in fantasy football, it's about what edge can you have over your opponents. I think having an elite tight end is the edge that you're looking for. Because when you, if you're rolling with Rob Gronkowski, Zach Ertz, or Kelsey, and somebody else is rolling with a guy like Jared Cook, then <laughs> you know that gives you a big edge over your opponent when you're getting wide receiver one numbers out of your tight end. But if you're looking for some value this year, you know, Trey Burton recently signed by the Chicago Bears. Really good value when it's just him and pretty much Allen Robinson there. And Mitch Trubisky coming to his second year, the tight end's always a really nice safe, uh, safety net. George Kittle in San Francisco uh, had a really good rookie year. Going to have more time to develop with Jimmy Garoppolo in that Kyle Shanahan system. I think he has a nice spot uh, there for some success. And then Jordan Reed. Can Jordan Reed keep his you know, head on straight, I guess to say, or his brain from not moving and really hold off from those concussions. Because when he does, I mean, he's an elite receiver. And we already saw what Alex Smith did with Travis Kelsey. So wherever, everybody's going to like really hold off on Jordan Reed just because he's so prone to those concussions. If he can stay healthy and somehow sneak in about 10 games out of that 12 regular game season, he has a chance to be elite tight end as well this year. I mentioned Evan Ingram and the Giants off the top. That whole offense fascinates me because it seems like they're poised for a real bounce back. You put Saquon Barkley in the backfield, an improved offensive line. Oda Beckham Jr., mentally we know, is a question mark, but when he's on, boy, one of the best. And then you can sprinkle in Ingram with another year under his belt and a rejuvenated uh, Eli Manning. That whole Giants offense, is there anybody we should, you feel, go high on, stay away from? What do you think overall? I like the whole Giants offense as a whole. You know, I really love Evan Ingram. He's the number one overall dynasty tight end. Uh, pretty much a giant receiver there. And when you got a double coverage Odell Beckham, it's going to open some things up for him. And along with Saquon Barkley, who, again, Saquon Barkley is a dynamic running back, but his strongest suit is in the receiving game. So look for him to come out of the backfield and catch a lot of footballs this year. I expect at least 65 receptions almost as a floor for Squam Barkley. So I think that's open up, too. Not only does it open up things for Evan Ingram and Squam Barkley, but we can't forget about Sterling Shepard as well. Sure. You know, just about 1,000 yards in his rookie year. Brandon Marshall, they give him the boot. He leaves town. That's going to open up things for him, too. I think if you're looking for really good receiving value out of that Giants team, I think it could be Sterling Shepard, a really nice late-round pick who could have high-end running wide receiver three to low-end wide receiver two numbers if everything shakes out right. There's a lot of options there in New York for Eli, and they're all very good options this year for your fantasy team. Where are you drafting Saquon Barkley? It's... Boy, this is a three-down back. We know the impact that rookies can make at the running back position straight out of the gate. But there's always the question of he hasn't played in the NFL. Where are you looking to take Barkley? I like Barkley right around, you know, right around pick, anywhere from pick 8 to pick 12. Okay. Uh, that's where I see him. Because, again, I think his – when you get a guy – for example, like Todd Gurley last year. Todd Gurley last year destroyed, I mean, absolutely destroyed the fantasy world. And he did a lot of that because he had about 87 targets, which is a lot. That's a lot of targets. And his receiving game took a huge step up. So that's why Le'Veon Bell is so valuable because he catches the ball like a wide receiver. Le'Veon Bell over the last two years has 160 receptions, which is the most in the NFL uh, by a running back over the last two years. So that's where the value really comes in to Saquon for me personally, is not only is he going to be the in-between-the-tackles runner that you love, but like I said, he's going to catch around 
60 footballs, 65 footballs, maybe as high as you can get up into the 80s, which is which is really high, but it's not too far-fetched with a guy like Saquon Barkley. So even picking him right around pick 8 to 12, that might turn out to be tremendous value. But for me, with a rookie, not seeing everything pans out, Eli's the quarterback there. There are some guys I'd really rather take ahead of him, which is going to push him right around that 8 range. When I'm going to take a guy like Alvin Kamara, right. David Johnson, Zeke Elliott, Le'Veon Bell, Todd Gurley ahead of him. And then don't forget about some of those receivers like Antonio Brown and the DeAndre Hopkins. Rich, great stuff as always, man. Tell people where they can find the podcast uh, and all your work. You can find our Dynasty Nerds podcast, which comes out once a week. Anywhere you can find a podcast, whether it's iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, we're everywhere there. Uh, com for all the fantasy needs that you need. And, of course, if you ever want to talk fantasy, on Twitter, at Dynasty Rich. Good stuff, brother. We'll talk again soon. Thanks so much. Absolutely, and always a pleasure. Thanks, man. All right, Rich Dotson, as you heard, founder of DynastyNerds.com. Terrific site, at Dynasty Rich on Twitter. So if your question didn't get in, uh, you can always ask myself at AndyMC81 and at Dynasty Rich. So there you go. A little fantasy football primer gets you ready. You're welcome. Ladies and gentlemen, when you win your fantasy pool, feel free to send any funds my way as a uh, complimentary gesture. You know, when nice. you decide, <laughs> when you told me that you wanted to have Rich on, I was, I mean, I, I understand the fantasy football conversation. It's a very important one to have at uh-huh. this time of the year. And then, but I, I still couldn't figure out why exactly you <laughs> wanted him. And then I heard the, oh, one, it's one of the few bright spots for our Browns. Oh, like, our Browns. <laughs> what are you saying And here? Then, then the light just clicked back what here. What are you saying now, here? Now it all makes sense. Listen, Rich is one of the best in the business. Brother. Who just happens to be a Browns fan. Who just fan. happens? Hey, just man. happens to be a I Browns fan. I gotta give guy. love to my people. Yeah. Uh, the booze only fuel me, folks. <laughs> Too bad you can't <laughs> say the same for your team. Hey, <laughs> hey, some good news, Blue Jays fans. When Vladdy Guerrero Jr. returns, according to the Toronto Suns, Rob Longley, the next stop expected is AAA, baby, Buffalo Bisons. So, Vladdy, it seems like the, an injury is what was necessary for him to make up the, the jump to AAA. Just bashing double A, 400-plus average, we know what he's done. But now that's the next step closer. That's very exciting to me. In a J season, that is just a whole bunch of, ugh. And waiting for the trade deadline and seeing who's going to get dealt where. This is big news because now we get to see the progression. Okay? Conquer double A. Double A's done. We know he can do that. What about triple A? What's the average going to be like? How does he adjust as more tape, more studying of him at different levels is undertaken by teams? And after that, when do we see him with the big club? Like, I hope he comes in house on fire and we see him for a portion of of this season. Because really, once we're, boy, once we're into the fall, you're going to need something to get people down there. How excited are you, Keith, to see Vladdy if he can get up there? Is that is that a driver? Like, I think that would be a draw to go see. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, that, and I that's mean, the I, only I, draw. Yeah, pretty much. At I mean, at, at this point in the season, we we know what this team's about. We know within the next few weeks that even some of the, not, not like, I'm not going to sit here and call J.A. Happ as a reason to go see a Jays game, but he'll be gone. Estrada could be gone. Right. Morales, maybe who knows who else. So if, and hopefully when he does get called up, I think, uh, no, that'll, that'll definitely be a big draw for, uh, for most Jays fans. So that's, that's the report there that, uh, Vladdy Guerrero Jr. Coming off the injury. is going to go to triple a Buffalo. 
And we'll see. And if the reports and management stays true to the word that, all right, 2019, that's going to be rough, but 2020 is go time. Not a three, four-year rebuild, 2020. Then I want to see, I want a taste of Vladdy Guerrero Jr. He doesn't have to play here next year necessarily, but I want a taste. I want to see, I want to feel what the future could be. That'll be, that's really the only, the only main storyline for Blue Jays to kind of hop onto, right? All right, as we're getting ready to wrap up the show, let's get a final tally on our uh, TSN 1050 Twitter poll at TSN 1050 Radio at AndyMC81. Which Maple Leafs player finishes with the most points next season? Is it Tavares, Matthews, Marner, or Nylander? Leading the way in the clubhouse, you can still vote. Austin Matthews at 44%. Then Johnny T. Tavares at 27%. Mitch Marner climbing. 26% Marner right on the heels of JT. And William Nylander, a distant fourth at 3%. So Matthews in the clubhouse. But Marner gaining steam, I think, because of the assist factor, right? You can combine those assists with some goals. Pop a few more of those and you're good. CFL Weekly coming at you live tonight at 9 p.m. I'll have that for you right here on TSN 10. 50, but World Cup action coming up next. So for Keith and JP, I'm Andy McNamara. Semi-final, France versus Belgium. Pre-game show next here on TSN 1050.